There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. True Hauntings is a frightfully good... Production. Mosborough Hall Hotel is a historic and very beautiful building located in Sheffield, Yorkshire, England. It is a popular choice as a wedding venue with its beautiful gardens and lavish rooms. Yet, all may not be as it seems, as the stories that have been told about the spirits that still reside within the walls of Mosborough Hall range from the ordinary souls of past guests and residents to that which stems from something far more sinister and disturbing. People pay to spend a night in the most haunted room here and past and current staff have their own spooky encounters to tell. Hi, I'm Renata. And I'm Anne. And in this episode of the True Hauntings podcast, we explore one of the most haunted places in England, Mosborough Hall Hotel. Anne and Renata have been investigating paranormal occurrences for the past 20 years. They have been at the center of various unexplained phenomena and have witnessed countless ghostly experiences. The duo now turn to high-profile cases that have attracted the eyes of the world. Between the dimensions we see and the dimensions we don't, supernatural forces are at play. Evil lurks within the shadows of our homes and in the darkest corners of our minds. It follows us like a shadow, forever. This is where nightmares become reality. This is True Hauntings. The following story was recounted by the granddaughter of a lady who worked as the cook at Mosborough Hall until her marriage in 1901 when she left domestic service. Mr. Beecher feels that the room described in this particular account is most likely to be the current room 22, which was number 9 until a recent extension was added. The hall was known to be haunted in the 1800s by the family who resided there. There were many strange happenings in the house, but the most spectacular of these was centred on a room which is believed to have once been the library although later became a bedroom. 
this particular room was plagued by a poltergeist. Ornaments and books were thrown around and furniture was moved from one side of the room to the other almost every day. At first, residents of the hall were blamed. In those days, all domestic staff who were employed had their own quarters in the building and a great number were needed to run a house of such size. However, many of the staff were afraid to go into that room and the squire became concerned about their tales. In an attempt to discover whether there was indeed anything amiss or whether a sinister joke on his staff was to blame, he devised a plan. One day, he sealed the library to all outside visitors. Each one of the windows, every door and every possible route by which a person could enter or leave the room was dealt with. However, the squire decided prudently that he would not spend a night in the room alone. He opted to sleep outside the main door, which he locked before laying down on his mattress. Whether or not the squire was woken in the middle of the night by strange goings-on from inside the room, or even if he managed to sleep at all, is unknown. However, in the morning, the door was unlocked to reveal furniture, books and ornaments scattered all over as they had been many times before. Whether or not the phantom of the murdered woman was responsible for the happenings at the end of the 19th century, or if indeed she is the grey lady currently in residence, is unclear. But it is conceivable that a building with such a history as Mosborough Hall might have more than one ghost. We had the joy and delight of finding this place, not because it was on our agenda, but because we were invited to dinner while we were in Sheffield by one of our supporters. One of our followers? Yeah, Melanie. Can we say a fan? Yes, yes. Thank you, Melanie, if you're listening. Um, Yeah, we dedicate this episode to you, Melanie. Yes, yes. And she had a, a, a big thought about where... I really wish you wouldn't pause when you said she has a big... <laughs> and I was, I'm thinking, Sorry. hang on, where is that going? I'm not quite sure. She had a big thought about where we could be taken, as if we were that, you know, difficult to entertain, um, that was slightly haunted or a little bit haunted or a lot haunted. Oh, any type of haunted will take. Yes. And she found this delightful place. Uh, just outside of Sheffield. You know, it started off at a a different place we were going to, but because it was a long weekend, which we weren't aware of at the time, um, she ended up at this place, which I think is is just meant to be, Renata. Mm. (gasps) And uh, it turned out to be just a magnificent place and how warm and welcoming was the receptionist there, Gillian. Gillian, wow. She was amazing and just so generous with her knowledge and also a very special thing. All the ghost stories. Not not just the ghost stories. Well, she led us into the The main... The key to the room. The main room, yes, where (laughs) it all happened. Could you imagine that happening in our hometown? 
No. Could you imagine um, going to one of the local hotels here that we know is haunted and they go, here, here's the key. Take as long as you like. Yeah. You can do what you like in there. Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> really? Mm. <laughs> Mosborough Hall was an ancient manor house and the earliest parts of the hall date back to medieval times. And we've been there. Thank you, Melanie. Sorry, I'm just so excited. (laughs) So uh, some of the information that I'm going to talk about actually comes from the copious notes. Oh, the wad of notes, yeah. That Gillian actually gave us. So we're going to work through some of those notes with regard to the history because I do want to get it right. And um, she also gave us another stack full of uh, ghost stories. Oh, it's made my life easier. Mm. Thank you. So many years ago, the terrain around Mosborough area of Sheffield was an expanse of unbroken moorland. Yeah, out on the moors. Out on the moors. And this... You're not going to do a Kate impression? No. (laughs) Out on the (laughs) moors! We can't help ourselves. As soon as we take the moors, we're off. (laughs) Now, this is reflected in the origin of its name as Mosborough is an adaption of Moorsborough which means the fort on the moor. It's the fort on the moor. (laughs) (laughs) So today this hotel can be found just outside of Sheffield on the A616 towards Chesterfield. Now, the A616 may sound to us Aussies like some sort of a a major highway, but it's not. It's like a street. (laughs) We actually found it difficult to slide off that and go into... Um, the entrance well, we, of the We hall. had a lot of difficulty with a few of the roads <laughs> around Sheffield, if I remember a certain roundabout that we went around seven times before we got the right exit. <laughs> yes. By the way, this is our first podcast back <laughs> mm-hmm. after our return from the UK, Ireland and Amsterdam. Yes, yes. <gasps> Lots of stories to come. The Saxon Wolfred Spot owned lands as far as, I'm going to butcher these names, oh. Cornishborough in Doncaster and Lawton in Rotherham Rotherham in Eltheret's reign <laughs> Eltheret's reign uh, was also overlord of Mosborough at the end of the 10th century so we we going, oh, we're going to back the a while 900s wow 900s 20 years after the Norman conquest Mosborough was passed on to its new Norman lord Ralph Fitzhubert now, Fitzhubert and his, his good buddy, Roger de Busley, de Busley, de Busley, de Busley, de de Busley uh, were two of the major South yeah, Yorkshire land holders that after the like conquest. That sounds like a Yorkshire name. So they would have owned like massive amounts of land. Swathes. Swathes of land. However, rather than implying that Fitzhubert had taken up residence in his newly won lands, he possibly rarely ever visited Mosborough because the noble landlords were often absentees. So they would build these halls, these massive places to say, look at me, I own this, get off my land, don't you have anything to do in any of it, don't touch it. But they spent most of their time at court or abroad. Then you know that reminds me of just just a flash through my mind mm-hmm. when we went through Romania. Mm-hmm. Remember the gypsies built these massive big facades on the houses mm-hmm. to make them look really flash and impressive. And they all lived in they one lived room in one at room at the back. <laughs> with, yes. There's nothing anywhere yes. in, the, in this big house. Yes, yes sorry, I, I digress. As mentioned, they built a huge fort in Mosborough. And that was to just 
make sure that everyone that was passing through their lands knew that the household was very important and that the residents uh, would be there for a very long time, even after the family had passed. So it was, a, it was a statement. Yeah. It was a statement piece. The hall itself features uh, many areas that w- would commonly have been found in historic houses uh, in that it has been a site for continual rebuilding and updating. And we saw that while we were yeah. there, obviously. You've got parts of the hall, and especially the outside areas that look very much like it, they would have back in the day. And then you've got all the built-ons yeah. that us us people of the 21st century require. We need bars with flashing lights we and, do. and, you know, subtle, subtle... Poker machines? <laughs> yeah, things like that. Uh, so nobody can quite be sure of the date of the first hall, although it could have been built as long as um, as long back as the Saxon times. So that first hall was where uh, Gillian took us into the light. That was in the middle of the all of it. Yes, and it was sort of a, a two-story building, but the, there was no middle floor, mm-hmm. and it was just very tall, and it was like a giant big rectangle. Yes, yeah? yes. Um, and they had a funny story about that. Do you remember yes, the funny yes. story? Oh, we're oh, going to get to I that? Okay, that. I will not steal your thunder. Uh, to end that little bit. Oh, you're fogging up, are yeah, you? Yeah, I know. Uh, much of the current building is 17th century in origin. Now, a little bit more about the people that owned the place. The earliest date of ownership goes back to 1180, 1180, mm-hmm. when the hall was owned by a high sheriff of Yorkshire, Robert de Stuteville, under the reign of Henry II. Did you know um, Robin Hood? I don't know. Okay. I it's have, a sheriff. I, I didn't ask him. <laughs> didn't. He's the sheriff of Yorkshire, not the sheriff of Nottingham. Oh, okay. You're, you're in the, the, I'm wrong, in the wrong county. I'm in the wrong county. <laughs> the hall passed hands to various lords of the manor, including Lord John Darcy, 1340. Oh, Darcy? Sir James Strangeways. <laughs> I'd in, be changing my name. In 1350, until in 1420, Robert Carey, a knight under Henry V, defeated a Spanish knight in a trial of arms at Smithfield, and he was granted the manor of Eckington. Icky, which icky is thump. which is kind of not very far away, stone throw away from uh, Mosborough, uh, and so he got Eckington and Mosborough right. together for winning this trial. Well done, sir. Now Robert Carey's grandson William Carey was born at Mosborough Hall in 1496. William went on to marry uh, to marry, <laughs> but, he, but he did to marry <laughs> Mary Boleyn. <laughs> The oldest sister oh, of Anne Boleyn. Oh, I'm going to say that's a familiar sounding name, yes, Boleyn. Yes, yes. Now, whilst Mary was at Hampton Court, she had an affair with oh. King Henry VIII. Oh. Yes. Oh. Now, the affair was short-lived and she went on to marry William to hide the affair. Okay. Right. So, so we he, had a wandering royal willy there. <laughs> yes, he did. He did. It was, he really did. He, it ended up being his demise other than the fact that um, I read somewhere just literally uh, going off topic. Yeah, as we do. On, on topic. That's okay. They um, love it when we go off that, topic. That he 
consumed, they've worked out, I don't know why they even bothered doing this, but they worked out that he consumed over 5,000 calories a day, King Henry VIII. And that's okay, isn't it? 5,000 calories. I wouldn't know how many you meant to eat. That's a lot. Oh, is it? Yeah. Okay, that's probably why I'm overweight because I don't know these things. (laughs) Jeez. Now, the infamous king used a network of secret tunnels to gain access to the hall. Gain access to (laughs) The hall, hall, H-A-L-L, so he could continue his affair with Anne Boleyn's sister Mary. (gasps) Now, we were told about those. Secret tunnels. We love a secret tunnel. We do love a secret tunnel. There's always secret tunnels everywhere. (laughs) I'd just like to give a shout shout out to Mike from Maitland Jail who keeps teasing us with his tunnels. One day we'll be proved right. We'll We'll get access. We'll just dig one. (laughs) So Henry's old tunnel system. (laughs) He needed to just brush the cobwebs out of that. It's been lost over time. Uh, but Mary's room still exists and can be booked by guests wanting to wow their friends by saying they too had stayed in the king's bedroom. Yeah, we've got so it on with Mary. <laughs> yes, this is where it happened. Seems to be a thing with Mary's. Mm. Anyway, so no, that, that came out really wrong. Anyway, keep going. Unfortunately, Mary got pregnant. Oh, it does happen with the Marys. <laughs> I think she just clued on to what I'm going on about. That 14-year-old girl has never been touched by a man. <laughs> it was an angel, I swear. <laughs> All right, come on, pull yourself together. Pull yourself together. Stop. <laughs> I've still got it. <laughs> yes, it was an angel. <laughs> oh, anyway, uh, happened to be a male angel. His name was Michael, wasn't it? Which one? Let's just look. We're digging a hole. Stop it. Stop it. You, you've gone right off track. Do I need to pause until you gather yourself? Your glasses no. are completely fogged no, up. No, no, I can get back to it. So she went on to give birth to a daughter, Catherine, in miracle. 1524, and then a son in 1525 who she named Henry, allegedly after his father. Now, this pissed off um, uh, Mary's sister, no, Mary's sister, Anne Boleyn, who ended up marrying Henry. uh, And uh, she was not happy. Not happy, Um, Anne. Henry VIII shortly met Anne Boleyn and immediately ended his affair with um, her sister, Mary. And Anne consequently found out about the affair with the sister and banished Mary from court. No, you can't have both of them there. Poor Mary. No. <coughs> oh, we've, got a, we've got a wizard going on outside somewhere. I can hear it in the background. Now, when Elizabeth I became queen, her first act was to make her stepbrother, Henry Carey, Lord Hunston, and she granted him property and land in Herefordshire and Buckinghamshire. Or Shire. 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 When Henry Carey died, the Queen paid Henry for... Carey. Henry Carey Her- died. Henry Carey, right, okay. She paid for his funeral and Aww. she requested he was buried in Westminster Abbey, Aww. which was something that she had not done for anyone else. Aww. And his tomb is the largest crypt in the Abbey. Oh. Yeah, so, you know, even though she sort of banished her sister, hmm. she still felt quite a lot of guilt about, yeah. you know, everything. She ended up losing her head anyway, so 
who cares the whole <laughs> the whole has also it's such a kind caring cow <laughs> oh. are you sure you don't mean to turn the aircon off no okay Suffer. The hall has been owned by Joseph Stone in 1671, who built a 110-foot brewery house on the grounds of Mosborough Hall. Oh, well done. It was thought that this was the start of Stone's Brewery in Sheffield, which was later known as Bass Brewery. That information um, came from Gillian and also Mosborough Hall website. Now, nice. we went in. And as you drive off the main road that passes the hall, the main building uh, is partly hidden by tall trees. Remember that? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And on one side, there is a high stone wall which hides the building along one side. Yes. Is that where you and Melanie went down to the corner? Yes, yes. We were drawn um, down into that, right down the very end there. And when you go down the back, um, which is kind of like a a big parking area, you look out onto those swathes of land and you can imagine the um, Henry VIII and his entourage coming up. Out hunting the stag. And, yeah, and um, horny Henry (laughs) (laughs) trying to to find the tunnel. (laughs) So so he could go Trying and... Trying to squeeze his belly down through the hole there. <laughs> yeah. So they could... Um, he could go and meet Mary for mm-hmm. for a... Um, Trist. Dalliance. <laughs> a dalliance. A menage a trois if Anne had come along. Oh, oh no. <laughs> well. So we... There was also a doorway um, through the wall, which is used by servants when they collected milk um, or eggs from the farms opposite. Now, there are some tales of strange noises and voices around that particular doorway. Oh, are you going we, into ghost stories? I'm just, I'm just saying because that's where we were drawn. Oh, we were drawn true. down to that particular area. And when I read this You bit, didn't know that at the time. No. We didn't get handed the notes till after mm. this. Um, I found that quite interesting that we ourselves kind of went down to that spot. And you could... Now, reading these notes, you can imagine that that would be the spot where the servants could hide. I actually took photos of you down there, you know. I can pop them up. Mm. And they would whisper to each other about all the gossip that was going on. Did you see Henry go down the tunnel? He didn't fit. (laughs) They had to dig it bigger. Uh, Yes. Now, the building inside is a mixture of very old and very new. Um, They have some exposed walls. Um, from the old building and then you've got all the new bits um, which kind of make a real hodgepodge of everything it's it's very tastefully done hmm. yeah but it's it's interesting they, they, they blend it well yes and uh, yes we had Gillian the receptionist who had been there for over 20 years uh, she just was astounding in um the way she greeted us and passionate about uh, working there. She took us in through the arched way uh, door into that main hall, one of the oldest parts of the original building. And um, as you mentioned, it's a big sort of square box. Mm -hmm. Uh, It used to have a minstrel's gallery. Yes, make sure you say minstrel and not men. Yes, minstrel's gallery on one side, which would have been fabulous, Hmm. except over the years, dumb people who got drunk at weddings 
found themselves up onto that minstrel's gallery yes. and then took a flying leap towards the uh, chandelier. chandelier, pretending that they were Tarzan. No, Errol Flynn. Oh, Errol Flynn. They were going okay. to swing from the chandelier into the fray below with a sword, yes. but no sword. Stupid idiots. And so they had to take the... Um, the minstrel gallery out. Yeah, And they, they've got the out. doors still up there, which they've now blocked yes. to stop people from going... Th- people are idiots. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. But, you know, that's where I would have ended up if I was in there <laughs> because I used to have a string quartet that played at weddings and functions mm-hmm. and occasionally we would get to locations where they had these minstrel galleries mm-hmm. and we'd be popped up there and people would have the music just floating down around them. They didn't have to look upon the plebs that were playing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it gets very hot up there because hot air rises. Yes, Mm. And it affects the tuning of the instruments. But mm. I just thought I'd throw that in for a little bit of information. Mm. And then, of course, as you mentioned, we got the key to uh, yes. the room. The room. The room. And uh, we were walked up through the building. Oh, boy, wasn't it a rabbit warrant? Yeah. And uh, we opened the door and went, <gasps> wow. As we looked upon a giant four-poster bed. Yes. It was a huge room. Yes, it wasn't the original, uh, we were told. Not the original bed that uh, not the, original the story bed. will be revealed shortly. But it had um, the timber which went all the way around the walls, these timber panels and uh, the story behind yes. what went on in that the room. The giant big fireplace. What, what could have gone on in that room. And we did a, a mini investigation in there. Yes, with Melanie, who I swore she must have done it before. Yes, she was, she was excellent. On, she was on the ball. She was onto it. Yeah. So I'll let you get on with the stories because there's a plethora of them. Oh, wow. Well, I'm going to start off with this. Um, the haunted ghost package that is offered by Mosborough Hall. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you brave enough to stay overnight at Mosborough Hall Hotel in the Lord John Darcy Suite? The haunted ghost package includes overnight accommodation for two people in the Lord John Darcy suite. Do you like the way I say that? Yes. Full English breakfast, three-course dinner in Darcy's. That's the restaurant that we dined in. Complimentary Wi-Fi and complimentary parking. The Lord Darcy suite is said to be haunted by the White Lady of Mosborough Hall. The story of the White Lady goes back to the 1600s. A governess at the hall had flirted with the squire and found herself to be pregnant. I didn't know you could get pregnant by flirting. Mm-hmm. thought there had to be a little bit more to it. <laughs> anyway, mm-hmm. he promised her monies and a small cottage, but finding himself in some financial restraint, had finally refused. The angry voices are reputed to be their last bitter argument when the girl's final threat to tell his wife led to her tragic death. He had visited her room on the pretext of keeping his promises and in one moment of desperation had slit the poor girl's throat. It was told she kept a large dog and that the dog pined to death at the side of her body. The overnight package includes. <laughs> anyway, it does go on. It gives you all the things you've got there. And it is uh, £75.50 per person. So I reckon that's for yeah. what you get. Three-course dinner and breakfast, and, breakfast. And, every- yeah. and a haunted room. And a haunted room. Oh. That's pretty good. 
I also like the little afterthought that is added to that, which says, picture may be for entertainment purposes only. Hotel is not responsible for lack of sleep or lack of paranormal experiences during your <laughs> stay. Isn't that great? <laughs> so, yes, they are, have embraced yes. their ghost story mm-hmm. and um, offer it to people who would be clamouring to get in that room and offer them a great night. Yes. Come stay in the haunted room. We're going to give you breakfast Come and dinner stay. as well. <laughs> all of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So and I don't I, I don't think it has to be too, oh, based on two people sharing the room. So, yeah. But that that is the main ghost that is associated with Mosborough Halls. It's the the white lady or some people have called it the grey lady. And um, it's the whole thing about, you know, we, I think Gillian told us she was the governess, am yes. I right? Mm-hmm. And that her room was actually the room just across from that door where she used to teach the children. Yes. Uh, and that was the squire's room that was across from there. It seemed awfully close, didn't it? I don't know. little convenient for my liking. But yes, so the other thought that we were told was that the body has been buried behind the fireplace. Oh, encased in encased, the wall. Encased, right. Because mm-hmm. uh, the, the squire's chamber was there, but the room behind the fireplace used to be like the, the room where the butler would dress the, the lord or the squire, whatever you call him. Um, so there was supposed to be another room there, but that's no longer there and... It's believed she is somehow or other buried or encased within that fireplace setting. Mm-hmm. And they've never been able to pull it all apart and check to see if there is a body there. Mm. I wonder. Mm. But the stories that Gillian gave us are just gold. There is quite a few. The, the, the one I, I really adored... Uh, I have to read it to you verbatim. It's just, it's massive. It's this big story. It's going to draw you in. Uh, it is courtesy of Gillian and Mossborough Hall. Let me tell you all about it. During the 1914-1980 war, a small detachment of officers and men of the old Knotts and Derby Regiment were billeted at Mossborough Hall. Now, of course, the soldiers had heard these tales, but they were down-to-earth young men trained to the thunder of guns and a time to be in daily peril of their lives. All went well until, due to pressure to find further accommodation, a room which overlooked the lane that for some reason had not been used previously was opened and kitted out with army-issue bunks. For a week or so, it remained empty, then one day, early October, a bright new face appeared at the hall. It was Private Peter Andrews, a young soldier who as yet had not seen active service. Private Andrews was the first to sleep in this room for many, many years. How many years and why it had not been used were not known at the time. His first night passed without incident, and during the next day he made a few pals and they enjoyed an evening at the George and Dragon public house just down the road from the hall. The way back was pleasant enough. Scudding clouds raced across an otherwise bright moonlit night. He was quickly into bed, and shortly the effect of John Barleycorn soothed him into a deep slumber. He was aroused from his sleep by the sound of voices. 
at first quite distinct, but gradually, as his senses sharpened, he recognised the voice of a man and a woman in the lane outside. It was a fierce argument which disturbed the night, but the window glass and the rustle of the leaves as the wind swayed the branches of nearby trees drowned the words. From the occasional snatches of the conversation, it was apparent that it was more than just a lover's tiff. It was strange, he thought, that he could not see the unhappy pair, although he stood at the window for some time. He thought little more of this event, and gradually slumbereased his apprehensions and thoughts of the lover's tiff, minded of his forthcoming taste of action in France. He slipped into the void, which we call sleep. The next evening, as usual, the lads finished up at the Georgian Dragon. A game of darts or dominoes was about all the entertainment to be found in Mosborough at that time of year. Eventually, conversation came around to the topic of the lover's tiff, and one or two of the other lads billeted in the room below Peter had heard the same quarrel. That's interesting. That they, they all heard it? Yes. I thought it would just be located to that one room. Oh, now, look, I'm going to apologise. I'm going to read this as it's written, people. It'll be a neat a two before that sees them two, came a local voice quiet but commanding immediate interest. All attention was focused on Joe, who used the natural pause to take a sip from his glass. I think I'm just trying to work out what he just said. <laughs> a deft stroke of his bushy moustache and a familiar caress of his pipe. Oh, isn't this just beautifully written? And Joe's eyes met the inquiring glances. He did not speak, but waited. A gnarled old finger gave the remains of his backy a gentle press. Oh, how was that for timing with the dogs? <laughs> Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. 
Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. My hugest apologies for the dogs having a bark. It turned out it was the postman. They do love the postman. Anyway, I think we were talking about him gently pressing his backy. It's worse, trust me. Yep. A couple more puffs and the smoke billowed from his cherry root. Excuse me? Pipe. I assume that it's made from a cherry tree or something. Yes, so. yes. Aye, um, it's about red time, yeah. When they hear them talking, they can reckon they'll see them in a neat or two. Stop it. Just I'm reading exactly what's written. Stop it. I, I, look, it's it's about a b b a t r e y t. I'm reading it as written. Okay. I'm doing my best. The lads looked at each other and going, "What did he just say?" No, they said, um, <laughs> "When did they let him out?" Look, stifled a grin and out of polite condensation. Condensation. <laughs> Oh, we've, we've lost it. That's it. We're gone. Oh, all right. So where was I up to? <clears throat> the condensation. The con, condes, con, now I can't even say it. Con, condensation. When they look down on you. What is it? Condescending. Con, well, it says condensation here. So I'm really con, condescension. Anyway, they didn't think much of it. They asked who he meant. We've had said enough about it. Hey, we're there. A shit shop in the room. We've had said enough, but if I were there, a shit shop in the room tonight. Joe's eyes never left, Private Andrews, or even the flicker of an eyelid. Dar in the room that's been locked. It's a pirate. Upon that. Peter Andrews, trying to look brave, but unable to stifle a gut feeling that chilled his back, replied that he did think he the room he was using had been closed for some time. Well, I'm seeing not no more. I wouldn't care if went for walk all night. I shouldn't shop in that room. <laughs> don't it's know not going to shop in that room. I don't know where this shunt shop is. <laughs> Oh no, the giggles are descending. It was not so much what Joe had said that disturbed Peter was the other. Disturbed me. I I need a translator. (laughs) It was the unmistakable urgency in his voice that penetrated Peter's. I apologise, we are very naughty. Come on, Joe, tell us all about it, Peter ventured. But Joe would not. No amount of come on, Joe made the slightest difference. Joe turned to join in a game of dominoes, a far more riveting, and hardly spoke to the lads for the rest of the evening. They got on with their games, and as the ale was consumed, Joe's words faded from his mind, and the normal banter about football and girls took rightful place in the merry company. It neared closing time. Joe got up quite abruptly, pulled his cap on, and tossed a scarf loosely around his neck, tucking the ends into the V of his waistcoat. 
he knocked out his pipe on the fire bars and bid his colleagues the old familiar parting for this part of Derbyshire. Oi, see thee? <laughs> I think I got that right. Uh, as they moved to the room door, he put a friendly hand on Peter's shoulder and bent slightly to catch his ear. Very quietly he said, Nah, think night, think hock. Nah, that night, think I'm an old fool. And and they can do what the likes, but I won't do in that room. Good night to thee, lad. With that, Joe went on his way home, thankfully. <laughs> Although the ale by this time had put a smile on their faces, Peter could not forget Joe's words. Still can't look him out. Gordon and Keith were chattling, ch- chattling, chatting to a couple of locals and having a good laugh about something or other. Peter just sat there for a few moments deep in thought. Bert Thanker, the landlord, caught his eye and beckoned him to the bar. Don't take much notice of old Joe, lad, will ya? He lives up near to Hall. Keeps telling everyone he's seen a ghost or something up there. There's not much to talk to talk about. I wouldn't let it worry thee too much. None of these lads here have seen aught. Just then Gordon came to the bar. Have we time for a last, Bert? Three pints and two halves if you've got any left. Well, you'll have to be quick. Why not take a few bottles with you if you're in a party mood? Gordon looked at the others. Right, one last one here and then a few bottles to take with us. Good idea. This suggestion appealed to Peter. His room was just to have a little nattering and it would take his mind off Joe. Back at the hall, they found an old packing box and spread an old newspaper on it, improvising a serviceable card table. Keith popped down to the kitchen and begged a few tasty scraps for a midnight feast and they settled down to a serious game of cards. What a life! (laughs) That, that's written there. <laughs> I can see you're all drawn in by, by this story and the wheezing going on. The night wore on. All thoughts of Joe or the dreaded trip to France seemed many miles away. Keith was doing well and was about 12 something or other up. Uh, Gordon and Peter, oh, that could have been 12. That's to do with money, people. <laughs> Gordon and Peter being about even on losses, who cared? The winner bought the next round. It was far better than they thought, about 3am, before there was any suggestion of calling it a day. Gordon had just finished the last dregs of his Kirby ales when Keith said something like, Bloomin' heck, that's not that time, is it? When there is, when there it was again, out on the lane, the same angry voices that Peter had heard last night interrupted their game. This time, however, the words were clearer. Keith peered out again, no one to be seen. Joe's words hit Peter like a sledgehammer. Boom! (laughs) Thanks for the sound effect. It's okay. In spite of the lateness of the hour and the refreshments they had consumed, Peter's wits were suddenly galvanised into fearful anticipation. The words, don't stay in that room, sprang into the forefront of his mind. Even with his soldiers' training, he was, for some strange reason, sickeningly afraid. He was not alone in his fears. One glance at his mates, and instinctively Peter knew they felt the same unease. Hardly had he the time to take some sort of joke out of this situation than an overwhelming chill, not like a draught, but a penetrating chill that invaded his very bones, gripped him. From the corner of the room by the door, 
a deep anguish he had never heard. Nothing hysterical. These awful sobs came at seemingly measured intervals. They were from the very depths of this poor creature's soul. Nothing could be seen, and yet the sobbing sound moved nearer to the card table. The sound engulfed the whole room, and yet was not loud. Peter could see the terror in his friends' faces as they followed the dreadful cries with the slightest turn of their gaze. Past the card table they followed the sound, past where only a few moments ago they had been happily sitting until it seemed to half near the window. The movement had stopped, but the sobbing seemed to reach even greater depths of unearthly torments. The immortal soul of the creature was revealed in the desperation of these cries. The room was filled with the indescribable atmosphere that accompanies circumstances that reach beyond human understanding. Gradually, the room seemed to lighten. Perhaps a patch of cloud had suddenly rolled away from the brilliance of the moonlight. Slowly but surely, the room was bathed in the pale, cold light of an October moon. Or was it? For the light seemed to emanate from the very source of that sobbing. Hardly daring to look, but entranced by the spell of those brief sickly moments of fear, Peter became aware that his strange light was painting a recognisable shape. What looked like curtain drapes began to appear from the floor up to the canopy, then outlined the shape of an old bed. Distinct forms began to emerge two heavily carved posts at the front drapes all around them. Sitting on the edge of the bed was a young woman. Long hair hid her face, which rested in her hands, elbows supported by the knees. Her dress was white, and her body shook with the convulsions of her sobbing. Such tears, such depth of anguish. What in the name of creation had caused this agonising despair? They dare not move. They dare not speak in case their movement or speech should disturb this unearthly scene. The poor tormented girl leaned back slightly, still clutching her face with her delicate hands. She assumed an upright position and, with a definite pressure of her fingers around her eyes, in one movement wiped her tears and swept back her hair, holding the back of her head in clasped hands for a brief moment. The sobbing was still now, and gradually she fell back upon the bed staring upwards, revealing her young, sad features. She was a strikingly pretty young woman of about twenty-two or three, Keith was the first to attempt any movement at all. Not taking his eyes from this vision, he fumbled for Gordon's arm and gave a tug to the sleeve of his uniform. This startled Gordon, and instinctively he pulled his arm away from the nervous clutch of his friend. The beer bottle was still in his hands, and the sharpness of his movement struck the bottle against the frame of the army bunk, and the bottle flew across the room towards the fireplace. 
The clink of the bottle brought some relief to the situation, and with one mind each took a step backwards towards the door. Having broke the magnetism of the worldly spell, their steps quickened to the door, and in a moment... That seemed an eternity. They were fumbling for the door handle and frantically tugging to open their escape to the world they knew. Once outside, caution was thrown to the wind, and as fast as they could stumble, they found the staircase, and in a confusing mix of running, jumping, and sliding, found their way to the basement canteen. They burst in on a group of four, five pickets who were seeking earnestly as the lads made for the large teapot, which always stood at the fire bars. It must have been the whiteness of the deer still engraved on their faces. I'd just like to say that doesn't make sense, does it? The whiteness of the deer still engraved on their faces? Fear. But, yeah, I think that might be a typo. Yeah. The whiteness of their fear. <laughs> Uh, still engraved on their faces, that prompted the observation. So you've seen her as well, Peter stated in astonishment. How could they know anything of what was in Peter's room? They must be making a joke of their hasty entry and panic-stricken appearance. Peter reposted, yes, we've seen her. She's still in my room. Gordon, then Keith, and then all at once garbled out an almost unintelligible unintelligible version of their fright. The pickets listened intently, no suggestion of disbelief. Uh, the Peter knew they were preaching to the converted, but what had they seen? Before long, Geordie, one of the, the fire pickets they called, began his tale. It was part of their duty to patrol the grounds of the hall whilst on fire pickets. Discipline was pretty well relaxed and they patrolled in pairs. Geordie and his mate were by the doorway to Halley Lane when they when their attention was caught by the same voices that Peter had heard. They were much closer, and the words were quite distinct. The girl in a sort of Sunday best, local accent, was pleading with the man. His name was James, but the girl used both James and Sir as she addressed him. Their voices raged until, with startling clarity, the words, Then if thou will not, I shall tell thy wife, rang through the stillness of the night. Oh, no. Uh oh The clarity of those words was still resounding when through the doorway ran a young lady bent in obvious distress. Geordie did not have time to move, but instinctively held out his arms to prevent a sure collision. But the impact did not come. The white, unhappy form was of no earthly substance. His outstretched arms clutched nothing but a chill mist. Peter had finally firmly made up his mind to see the officer in charge. No matter what, he would not stay in that room any more. Good on him. The morning came and Peter sought out the NCO to arrange an interview with the orderly officer, Sergeant McGranahan, with a touch of an old soldier. Oh, hopefully he didn't touch an old soldier. Uh, he was a, a touch of an old soldier and at first would have no um, no interested in not words. It says no truck with his alarmist story. I've never heard of no truck. Yeah, no, no. That, that's, that is a, that that, is that's a saying. A thing? Yeah. Oh, I'm not as old as you, so I don't know. <laughs> 
Uh, Something in Peter's manner told him to make further inquiries. He had a word with Keith and Gordon, then with Geordie, and his mate finally had a quiet chat with Captain Horden. They, They could place Peter with the other lads, but another six men were due, and that room was the only accommodation available. As it happened... Dr. Pilcher. Dr. Pilcher. Dr. Pilcher was due at the hall very shortly and he decided to seek Dr. Pilcher's advice on the matter, probably testing to see if he was a nutter, I'd say. Dr. Pilcher was the local doctor who served as the MO for the detachment at Mossborough Hall. He was a no-nonsense man and although he had heard tales about the hall, would not believe the story, but something had to be done. The whole detachment was buzzing with the story. I think they were drunk. But anyway, what could be done to quash this highly unlikely tale? So what they decided on was a course of action that the doctor was later to regret. They would treat it as a joke and ridicule the tale of the brazen in a brazen manner. On pretext of a medical parade, all the personnel were summoned to the stable square. After some preliminaries, Dr. Pulcher raised the story of the ghost of Mosborough Hall. He dismissed it as a legend and explained whatever had happened, there must be some logical explanation. He joked about it and did his best to ease the situation, but he could see the lads were not responding. Eventually, he said to show his faith in what he believed, he would sleep alone in that room. This did cause a stir, and there was much talk and excitement, not only at the hall, but the word spread to the local pubs. Much speculation led to bets being laid. It Love was it. quite Love it. the talk of the village. <coughs> and it was to be the very next night. Mm-hmm. Peter was accommodated in another room and on the following day, Dr. Pilcher arrived at the hall quite early. He wanted no nonsense, no tricks and set pieces were to be allowed. He and the captain carried out a thorough inspection of the room and were satisfied with their examination. The door was firmly locked. As a precaution, the doctor kept the key, so he's locked himself in. Mm-hmm. He arrived later that evening about 9pm, a chap with the boys and a nightcap. I'll oh, see, they're on the piss again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is it with that? That's for Dutch courage. Yeah. Um, and by uh, 10.30, it was lights out. The doctor made his way, accompanied by the captain, to the disturbing room. Final check with the captain to make sure that no surprises had been engineered. He bade them all good night, locking the door as the captain left. Alone now, he was not afraid. A little uneasy, perhaps. Another check. Yes, the door was locked. The window was firmly shut. No strings or cotton thread suspended to play some childish prank. Convinced now that all was well, he turned off the hissing gas lamp and made himself as comfortable as he could. He was awakened at 7am with a knock at the bedroom door. Cup of tea, sir, said the captain's Batman. (laughs) I'm serious. Batman! Uh, with some relief, Dr. Pilcher unlocked the door, put it down on the packing case. Thank you, said the doctor. The Batman marched sorry, in smartly enough, but instantly froze on the spot. What's the matter, man? asked the doctor. It's, it's your b- b- bed, sir, stammered the Batman. The doctor looked. What the, what's the matter? Oh. His words soon failed. He could not believe what he saw. The pillowcase and his sheets 
were stained, dripping with the unmistakable redness of human blood. No! A grisly pool was splattered over the bedclothes and the glistening as it dripped onto the polished floor. Oh! All colour drained from the doctor's face. When at the moment he was reduced to a shaking, whimpering wreck of a man, the Batman called for help. Hang on, isn't he supposed to be the one you call in for help? Um, the doctor was helped down the stairs and driven straight to his house in a staff car. He resigned his post as medical officer and never set foot in Mosborough Hall again. But those bloodstains remained. No amount of scrubbing could ever remove them. Only in the recent conversations, hang on, in the recent conversions into the hotel were the stains removed and the floorboards replaced. Now, we were told otherwise. Yes, Gillian told us otherwise that underneath the carpet, there is some stains on the floor Mm -hmm. which sort of look like blood. Mm Mm-hmm. But that is the story. What a good story. Right. But that's not the only story. So I'm going to have to very quickly whiz through the others. Now, there's a lot of um, uh, first hand accounts of people who have had some <laughs> sort of experience with the White Lady of Hallow Lane. People have heard angry voices, dreadful sobbing. Um, there is a lady called Mrs. Grant, daughter of Joe Rotherham, Rotherham, who lived in one of the cottages opposite the hall on Hallow Lane. Um, she told uh, whoever wrote this article more about the, the stories. So uh, her only personal experience of the hall was about 1928. The house was taking paying guests and they were all out for the day and due to return for their evening meal. Nellie Hampson was left alone at the hall to cope with the extra laundry and also prepare the evening meal. She was in the teens at the time and um, Nellie asked if they could help with the laundry. Uh, it was what is now the hotel bar, and we know where that is. It's yeah. sort of at the mm-hmm. side there, mm-hmm. side of the, the old hall, and what was known as the old chapel. We busied ourselves with the washing and ironing. We used to press the sheets under a large, heavy press. Uh, they removed most of the water. Much of the work being done, Nellie went to hang up the sheets in the drying room and left me mopping up the water, which had slopped onto the floor. In fact, I was on my hands and knees under the table when she came back very cross, telling me not to play tricks like that. I protested that I hadn't moved from under the table. She then told me that just outside by the old doorway in the wall, which we were shown, cold, clammy fingers had gripped her by her neck. She had struggled violently and broken away, but not seeing anyone in the dim light had thought that somebody was playing tricks on her. It was not many days later that Nellie packed her bags and left the hall, murmuring that she had had enough for this place. There's there's quite a few stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, that there was one here about um, Mrs. Grant's brother, the tenant of the hall. Uh, they used to call him Jammy. 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 <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> he was the first in Mosborough to buy an electric train set for his son. That's memorable. He'd laid the track on the floor um, of a top room that had skylight for extra light. They'd invited a few of the, the local lads around. They turned it on, uh, the train set that is. My younger brother, Joe, was amongst the excited youngsters about the middle of the day and the bright sunlight streamed through the skylight. Everything was ready. Hartley switched on at the same moment as the first pulse 
pulse of electricity powered the little engine forward, there was a sudden, inexplicable rush of wind that swirled into whisk of white spitting vapour, charging about the room as if demented. The walls seemed to shake and all the pictures and mirrors hanging on the wall swung violently and most fell from their hooks. That was the end of that party. Joe never went in that room again, much as he wanted to play with the train set. And there is uh, another story that Mrs. Grant recount, recounted, um, Auntie Mary. Um, there is another one about a large black dog. Uh, I might do the large black dog <clears throat> because there was a reference at some stage or other to the lady who had her throat slit. Yes, that, that she had a that big she dog. That she had a big dog that died. Yes. Um, anyway, this is Mrs. Grant again. So what we've got to remember here is a lot of these tales are coming from one person. Mm-hmm. And then that, I hate to say it, it makes me suspicious, but it does when it all comes from one person. But I don't know where that big story came from, apart from that Gillian gave it to us. Uh, so a further experience related by Mrs. Grant and again involved her grandmother, who was employed as a seamstress at the hall. The child of the hall was very ill and under constant care of the doctor. It happened that the parents had to go out for the evening and asked the grandmother to stay with the child. First, the child was restless and cried a great deal. Nothing unusual. Uh, Grandma was able to pacify the little boy. As the child slept, she sat near the, to the cot, but carried on with some sewing to pass the time. Quite suddenly, she noticed a large black dog stood in the doorway just to her right. The hound ambled across the room straight to where the grandmother sat and gently but firmly gripped her wrist with his mouth. He did not bite, but he held her wrist with a firm hold just for a moment. Then letting go, he ambled off past the cot, vanishing through the wall. Oh, my gosh. The poor child died the next day. And for the rest of her life, those teeth marks remained on grandmother's wrist. What a story. Isn't it a great one? Now, I'm going to... um, just finish off with this one, but there, there, there is a little side note at the end, mm-hmm. but this is from uh, the notes that were given to us. And I, I tried really hard to find some other information to back up this, this particular person that attended. Mm-hmm. I can find nothing, but let's tell the story. Apparently there was an exorcism at the hall due to the amount of tragedy that was happening at the hall. it, uh, since the beginning of the century, the hall had passed through many hands. Thorpe, Thorpe Haddock's Captain, uh, Captain Courage? Connected with what it says there, connected with the famous brewery family, Mr. and Mrs. Uh, Sheffield uh, newspapers, the Hartley, Sampson, Howard ice cream manufacturers, Vincent Wells, and the last Claude Spafford, Spafford, and Sheffield tool manufacturer. Um, almost without exception, even after leaving the hall, some befell some sort of tragedy within their family two deaths by shooting accidents unaccounted deaths of young children etc so the last family to use it as a private residence were the Spaffords they auctioned their furniture and effects in a marquee erected on the lawns in front of the hall unaccountably the marquee burst into flames the night before the auction causing great damage to the furniture and the silver oh 
It is Someone was upset. Yeah, it was interesting that the Spaffords always said they did not experience any unusual happenings, but it was the Spaffords who engaged the local vicar, Montague Holmes, to exercise the hall, exorcise the hall, not exercise the hall, accompanied by Harry Price, mm. a renowned psychic researcher. Yes. Now, that's the one I went looking for because he's got a lot of his stuff that's documented and I just couldn't find anything because, I mean, we've literally been home a couple of days. Um, I couldn't find anything. But maybe someone out there can... Uh, find that for us. Maybe Professor Danny can find it. This exorcism seems to have produced a more peaceful atmosphere through the present owners, uh, although the present owners have only experienced minor strange incidents. Only within the last few months, two local women witnessed a vision which took the form of a white swirling mist on what is known as the brow by Mosborough Hall Farm. Now, as we were finishing up with Gillian and Melanie, and they were telling us all the stories, she... um, Gillian recounted one more story to us and that was about some renovations that were going on in the hall and this happened not long ago and the uh, they had a handyman at the hall his name was Ernest and he used to do odd jobs around the place and everything and um, they'd get bigger contractors in to do the bigger jobs so they got this bigger contractor in to work on uh, one section of the hall and uh, he saw Ernest come in and he said hi Ernest how are you going Ernest just looked at him and just ignored him and the the handyman came out the the contractor came out and said to them what's wrong with Ernest I I talk to him and he he wouldn't talk back to me and they went you're pulling our leg aren't you and he went no i I just wanted to know what i've done to upset him they went he died two months ago yeah and that's only just happened yeah and i've got goosebumps just reading that out and i i um briefly talked to one or two of the staff as uh, we were walking out because they asked us in the morning um did we get anything did did we find anything in our time uh in uh that room and i said yeah it's look it's definitely strange there is a presence there we tried very very hard to make a connection but there there seems to be something very weird about that room Mm. and uh, she said yes a, a lot of us will not go near some of the areas of the hall because we have had our own experiences yeah uh, and I uh, did find a Sheffield Paranormal uh, report on uh, an investigation they did <clears throat> in some of the rooms there. Uh, they put up trigger objects and motion detectors. Um, one of the investigators saw a face in one of the empty hotel windows. Um, but when they went back and had a look, there was nobody in there. Uh, they did say that room 218 was quite active with orbs and lights. Mm-hmm. Move on. Mm-hmm. Live on, keep going. Uh, look, a lot of the things that they're <coughs> mentioning there's are um, what I would call uh, personal experiences. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was somebody who said that they heard tapping on the window uh, and the door. Richard saw a, p- a figure go past outside the window on the second floor, so it's not actually possible that anyone could be physically walking past there, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing was sort of caught on camera. They had a lot of trouble with the cameras turning off. <laughs> a psychic picked up on the fact that, you know, there was a woman there that had been hurt. Or- 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Something. And, I don't know. There was one report where they said they had some talcum powder uh, with two large marbles on a tray. and the Because the, I like the idea of talcum powder because you can't fake stuff um, if you can see if somebody walked through the area to yes. manipulate something. Yes. But when they came back, both balls had moved or the marbles had moved and there was a strange indentation in the talc. I thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. They talked a lot about a breathing. They were picking up a lot of breathing on the tapes. And as you know, we've got two heavy breathers on the team. Yes. And that you it picks up on every recording we've got and yes. that would be me and Steve. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, but it's, I think I'm asthmatic. That's all mine is. Um, there's nothing that really jumped out of me. Uh, feeling of deep sorrow, intense emotion, mm-hmm. really unhappy. Um, yeah. 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 And as as usual, if, if you're there for one short period of time, it, you may be just unlucky to be there when nothing's going on. Yeah. It doesn't mean that it's not haunted. It yeah. just wasn't haunted. To a point where you were feeling or sensing anything yeah. while you were there. And we got nothing on the digital recorders. We we weren't actually prepared for an investigation as such. And we should have thrown the bags in the car, but we didn't. Uh, and we, we used what we had. Mm-hmm. And... It didn't get much, but it was really fabulous to sit in there and and, oh, awesome. and the history of the location and the beauty of the building and all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. Is it a true haunting, Renata? I think there's something to it. I'm going to say I would love, I'd go back in a heartbeat. Yeah, I'd like to stay longer. Yes. So, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of history there. I love all the um, King Henry and the yeah. Anne Boleyn and Mary Boleyn yes. and the royal wandering willies all that sort of history is fabulous um yeah all right well i think we'll need to go back and spend more time Mm. but want to give a big shout out to jillian for handing us all those notes that we could use and to melanie for finding it yes thank you melanie but that brings us to the end of true hauntings if you'd like to show your appreciation for our work you can always buy us a cup of coffee just head to buy uh buy a coffee Anne and renata i was uh, just put that into the the search on google and we'll try to remember to put the link in below and you can shout us a cup of coffee and let me tell you we need some right now because the jet lag has got us Uh, but we'll be back next week with another episode we're going to try and cram some more in before we head off to Germany and Prague in four weeks we're nuts right (laughs) but we love it yeah uh, be frightfully good and we'll see you all on the the dark side. side bye thank you for listening to this episode of True Hauntings 
If you like the show, give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. For more on Anne and Renata, follow at Anne and Renata on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Or visit their website, www.annandrenata.com.